Let us pray. I'm also eternal and everlasting Father, King of kings and Lord of lords. What a great God you are. You are an omnipotent God, omniperspective God. You are aware of every and anything. We are thankful that we are your children by your choice, by your love. We know that's a high privilege that we're really called your children. We do not know yet what we will be like, but you have assured us that as your son Jesus Christ is, so will we be. It's for this reason that we consider it the highest privilege of all your creation that we're your children. Father, we know there are several in this congregation who are having several ill uh, health and problems you know who they are we do request at this hour that you are the only one that has the power you have the power to do whatever you want to do so it is a request that you touch your healing hands upon these individuals and grant them the healing that you have planned according to your will. We also pray for all others in this congregation who have various ailments or all other kinds of issues. You know who they are also. We pray that you meet their needs according to the riches of your glory in Christ Jesus. Thankful, Heavenly Father, that you have uh, given us this privilege then to come and worship you this morning. We, you have commanded that we should gather together to be encouraged through your word, especially as we see the, see the evil days draw near. We know we are in tumultuous times, but also we know that underneath are the everlasting arms that sustain us, for which we're grateful. So as we have gathered this morning to study a portion of your word, we recognize that the human mind is incapable of understanding anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. So, Heavenly Father, we request now that God the Holy Spirit, the perfect communicator, will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this morning. This is our request in Christ's name. Amen. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 5 through 13 that we have been considering for some time now regarding the date of some Israelites in the desert. I'm going to begin reading at verse 11. It is, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is coming to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Now the message of this section of 1 Corinthians 10, verses 5 through 13 that we have been studying, is that enjoyment of God's blessing under a good spiritual leader will not shield you from his judgment if you displease him. 
Now there are three primary reasons for presenting the message of this section the way we did. The first we have considered in detail of course is that the Holy Spirit conveyed uh, to us through Apostle Paul that the death of majority of the Israelites in the desert was because of God's displeasure with them. A second reason is that the death in the desert of most of the Israelites that left Egypt is to dissuade us believers from evil desires that we indicated is a concern of First Corinthians chapter 10 verses 6 through 10. Now consequently we consider four examples of the kind of evil desires that some of the Israelites who died in the desert were involved that we also should avoid. Now recall that these are idolatry, sexual immorality, putting God to the test, and grumbling. So we continue then with the thought that the final reason for presenting the message the way we did. The third reason for presenting the message of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10 verse 5 through 13 the way we did is because Israel's experience in the desert is written down for us as example and warning to us. Now this reason we have stated is derived from the first sentence of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11 that reads these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warning for us. Now the third reason we have stated is actually related to the second that is concerned with dissuading us from evil desires in the sense that it may be uh, interpreted as continuing the second reason either because it explains further the second reason because of examples of uh, evil desires of Israelites who died in the desert or that it is a return to the second reason after a digression that involves examples of evil desires of some of the Israelites with an addition of what may be considered an inference from what had preceded. Now we are reminding you that many times we see what we usually sometimes we say, Ananakalutun. In other words, where the apostle begins something and he leaves it and goes into something else. And I do that all the time. But then you come right back to where, what you're doing. So you don't lose a thought. You come back to that thought. So this is, is possible here as I'm going to uh, try to explain later. So our explanation then that the third reason is to be interpreted as, as continuation of the second reason is because of a Greek particle that is not translated in nearly all our English versions except those that are more little in their translation that begin verse 11 with the conjunction now as you find in the New American Standard Bible 
and the English Standard Version. Now the meaning now that they use is that meaning now for our great particle is one of its many usages when it is used as a marker linking narrative segments so its omission by the majority of our English versions may be interpreted as either the apostle is moving on to another topic or that the apostle was continuing the topic he began in verse 6 so that there is no reason to translate the Greek particle. Now there should be no doubt though that the apostle used our Greek particle to continue what he introduced in verse 6 regarding the concept of examples from Israel's experience in the desert. Now the question is whether the apostle used it either to explain what he has uh, written previously or whether he used it to resume what was stated in verse 6 after a digression that involves verses 7 through 10. Now it is difficult though to decide between these two interpretations. In other words, the, the apostle, once he began verse uh, 11, the particle he used in the Greek, is he telling us, I'm still continuing what I started in verse 6? Or is he saying, I'm now about to explain what I said in verse 6? Either way, that there's a continuation. So, but my interpretation is really that it is difficult to actually decide which of these two interpretations the apostle intended. So let me show you why it is difficult to decide on which interpretation is correct although we opted for the second interpretation of resuming what the apostle stated in verse 6 and that I will give you reasons why we adopted that. Now you see what the apostle wrote, beginning in verse 11, is in a sense an explanation of Israel's experience in the desert, or a summation of what he wrote in verse 6. In effect, the apostle is helping us to make sense of what happened to Israel in the desert. Now you see, it is often not uncommon that we may read a narrative in the Old Testament scripture and do not try to see its relevance to us today. In other words, many read an Old Testament narrative without being able to apply what they read to what they face today as believers. Furthermore, most of us have not developed the habit of questioning what God is saying to us from whatever painful experience that we face. The scripture is very clear that God does speak to us on not only through his written word, but through pain 
in our lives. As recorded in Job chapter 33 verses 13 through 19. Job chapter 33 verses 13 through 19. Job chapter 33 beginning of verse 13. He reads, Why do you complain to him that he answers none of man's words? For God does speak, now one way, now another, though man may not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men as they slumber in their beds, he may speak in their ears and terrify them with warnings to turn man from wrongdoing and keep him from pride to preserve his soul from the pit his life from perishing by the sword or now that's the second way the first one God communicates through what but look at the second one or a man may be chastened on a bed of pain with constant distress in his bones in other words God speaks to us one way through his word. But he also speaks to us through pain. And my thing is that this passage that we have just looked at should teach us then that every painful thing that happens to us is God speaking to us. But most of us have not formed the habit of interpreting personal communication of God to us through events or experiences in our lives. Now, when I say most of us, I, I expect that that's not really, should not be true of this congregation because I have pounded on this several times. Giving you examples, everything that happens. Say, what is the Lord saying to me? And I know some may have not, but it shouldn't really be because you didn't know it, because there are a lot of Christians who don't really know that, because no one has told them. But you have been taught about this, that everything that happens in your life, think about what is God saying to you. Now, so, if we cannot do this, though, how then could we? Relate the experiences of the Israelites in the desert that the uh, Holy Spirit has given to us through Apostle Paul in the passage of First Corinthians chapter 10 verses 5 through 13 that we are studying. In other words, if you cannot even identify with your own, how can you identify with those who lived several thousand years ago and with their problem? With, how, how do you relate to that? That's what we're saying. So if we cannot do, the, uh, do that, uh, so it's difficult to see how we're going to relate to their experiences. So, 
It is fitting then that the Holy Spirit through the Apostle provides us explanation of how to understand or how to interpret the experiences of some of the Israelites that the Apostle has cited in the preceding verses. It's for this reason that then it makes sense that the Greek particle not translated in the NIV and majority of our English versions they translated now in such English version as the New American Standard Bible and the English Standard Version that it be interpreted as being used to indicate that what follows is an explanation. So this interpretation of giving you of course requires that verse 11 really should begin with such expression as that is, that is. Now, so this interpretation, no, that makes sense. As we have demonstrated. That it does make sense. So you begin to see, it makes sense, so how can we take another one? Now here is another consideration that makes it difficult to be certain on how to interpret the Greek particle that begins verse 11 that is not translated in the NIV but translated now in the New American Standard Bible and the English Standard Version. Now it is true that it is possible that a Greek particle could be understood as being used by the apostle to provide an explanation of what he had written thus far in the passage that we are studying. But it seems that the apostle used it to resume what he stated in verse 6. But digress from that statement in verses 7 through 10. Only to resume the same concept of examples in verse 11. In other words, we're saying, as I keep emphasizing, we find many times you may be talking with people and they start something, maybe you ask them a question, they forget what they are talking about, they jump into something else. That's not what we see in the Bible, with the apostles in particularly. You have a thought, they start, the Holy Spirit carries their mind to something, when they finish, they come right back to it. And some of us, you know, that's why and if you have conversation with a lot of people, uh, they ask you a question, and before you can say something, they haven't got the answer. They're already talking about something else. They forgot the question they asked you. Because we have not developed that ability to think sequentially and logically. Many have, but very few people actually do that. So, here we're saying, it will be difficult to see. The apostles started the issue of Examples in verse 6. Then he went in from verses 7 through 10 to something else. So we are saying that verse 11, he comes right back to it. The idea of example. Now there are two reasons for this interpretation. First, the concepts of example introduced in verse 6 is followed Begin in verse 7 with a command or exhortation of what the Corinthians and so all believers should not do. You see, we will expect that the apostle 
will have continued with saying more about the concept of example. But that's not what he did. Instead, he began a series of instructions that are intended to keep believers from failing in the same manner as some of the Israelites in the desert. Now this is one of those things uh, parents ought to do, and some do. And that is it. You have had your own failures growing up, and so on through life experiences. And you want your children to learn from the examples in a way. In other words, because of the experiences, you direct them in a certain way to keep them from experiencing what you have experienced. I know many times, just as it is with God and us, we have all these examples, we still don't pay attention. So many times your children may not even pay attention. You tell them, try to shield them from what you experience, they, they don't pay attention until they learn it the hard way themselves. But anyway, so here, we will expect that the apostle will be talking more about this example. Instead, he began this series of uh, commands telling us what we should not do. So, while the exhortations of the apostle in verses 7 to 10 are related to the failures of some of the Israelites in the desert, the apostle digressed from making statements to issuing commands or exhortation. It's for this reason that we consider verses 7 through 10 as concerned with digression from the main concern of the apostle with examples we should learn from. In other words, again I say, the apostle started verse 6. So we should expect verse 7, 8, 9, 10 to be talking about the examples. But he didn't do that. He went straight, giving us commands. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Three times. So, what is it that he's doing? He has digressed from the concept of example into instruction. Now he comes back to it. That's what we are again, because of what I'm going to, the second reason I'm going to give you. So, uh, the second reason is this. The apostle used the same Greek phrase. He used in verse 6 to begin verse 11. You wouldn't know it from the English. But the same Greek phrase that began verse 6, began verse 11 in the Greek text. Now the translators of the NIV render the Greek phrase in verse 6. Go look at verse 6. This is where they begin. Now these things. That's how they rendered it. Same Greek phrase. But they rendered now these things. But when they come to verse 11, they simply look at verse 11. They just say these things. Notice what's missing? Now. Same Greek phrase. So they left off the word now. Now in verse 6, we indicated that the word now was used not merely to indicate transition to something related to 
verse 5, but to provide an explanation of what was stated in verse 5. So that verse 5 describes God killing in the desert most of the Israelites of Exodus generation that left Egypt. So that verse 6 continues with that concept, but with the added explanation as to the significance of that example, so to say, to the church of Christ. Now, since there has been no changing topic, so to say, now verse 11 must still be related to the same concept being explained in verse 6. Furthermore, we stated that the phrase, these things in verse 6, refer to the various examples of Israelites being judged by dates that we considered previously when we studied verse 5. So the phrase then, these things in verse 11 refers to the same examples of some of the Israelites being judged by date in various cases of their failure that caused the Lord to kill them in the desert. So if the phrase then, these things in verse 11 refers to the same things as in verse 6 of the death due to the failure of some of the Israelites, then we are forced to conclude that the apostle was thinking of what he, start, uh, he stated in verse 6 as he began verse 7. So this being the case, we are then justified to state that the apostle returned to the concept of example he introduced in verse 6. In other words, what I've just explained to you is that I believe that although the first interpretation is correct, and you know, that the apostle may be uh, showing that he's providing an explanation, but that's really, he is returning back to what he started with in verse 6. And these are the reasons I've developed that. Now be that as he may, the apostle resumed then his statement of fact about Israel's example in the sentence of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11. Again it reads, 1 Corinthians 10 11 reads, These things happen to them as examples. Same example in verse 6. So we come back to verse 11, returning back to the concept of examples. Now we indicated that the phrase distance refers to the various examples of some of the Israelites being judged by death in various cases for their failure that caused the Lord to kill them. However, because of the digression, the apostle went in verses 7 to 10, his mind went beyond the various date examples of the Israelites to the situations that led to their failure or uh, failure of some of these Israelites. Now, what we're saying is, as we study the scripture, one of the things we're doing is uh, entrusting our mind to the Holy Spirit to guide us 
to the same thing, mind say that the one who he originally gave the message to write down. So we can interpret it. So what we're saying is, yes, he's talking about examples. But his mind went beyond that. So what are the situations that cause these examples? That's what I'm arguing. That he's just not only talking about examples, but he was thinking about what were the situations that they faced that caused them to fail this way. Now these additional situations in the mind of the apostle are necessary though to account for the concept of testing or temptation mentioned later on in verse 13 where we are studying in 1 Corinthians 10. See, you take for example, those that died because of idolatry and sexual immorality associated with the Moabites faced a situation where they were tempted to see if they would obey uh, the Lord's commands to them not to be involved in idolatry. And those who honored the invitation by the Moabites women to their uh, festivity that involved idolatry and sexual immorality first faced temptation of whether they should believe what God said to them regarding Israel being a holy nation to God as he has revealed to them. Now what I'm saying is this. It's not only that they went and fell. But it was a temptation. And a temptation was offered to them. Now what that temptation is, come with us to our temple. We're going to celebrate. That's the temptation. If they had said no, because we know we're different. We will not read what we read in Numbers. But they didn't do that. In other words, that temptation, they did not resist. So one of the things I say, the first thing, which all of us as believers should also think about, it, they did not accept or they did not believe what God said to them about how unique they are in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. Exodus And you hold on to Exodus I'm going to look two more passages in Exodus Exodus Chapter 19 verse 6 It is You will be for me A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, a holy nation here doesn't necessarily mean what people think. It's you are a devoted, a dedicated, you are a separated nation. Now, these are the words you are to speak for the Israelites. So, if, and we are, you know, as believers, we're guilty of it. If we actually carry ourselves with that concept that we're different from the world, there are ways we will not be acting. But many times we forget that. And so we go along with the world. We do whatever they do. We do the same thing. There's no, so no one can differentiate us from the world of unbelievers. Because we're not, we're faced with temptation, but we're not accepting that yes, we're unique people living on this planet. Now these individuals were also tempted 
to see if they, viol- if they will violate the commandment associated with idolatry as stipulated still in Exodus chapter 20, look at verses 4 through 6. You can see what I'm arguing, trying to develop. That if the Israelites receive that invitation, and they say to themselves, but I am different. Say, I cannot be seen where you are. Because that doesn't conform with who we are as a people of God. Same thing today. Now we are, you know, especially young people, you get invited to parties and things like that. But you know as a believer, the things they are going to be doing, they are inconsistent with the truth. Yet you still want to go because you want to belong. That's where you now get trapped into whatever else that happens to you. Because you did not resist the first thing to say, well, I may be the one alone, but I'm not alone because I have the Lord behind me. Therefore, I'm not going to honor that invitation, whatever it is. So, but for the Israelites, since they didn't uh, pass that test, then this is the second one they did not pass either. Here's what the Lord says. Exodus 20 verse 4 reads, You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. By showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now in addition then, those who went to the festivity with the Moabites were tempted to see if they would recognize that it would be inappropriate to associate with those involved in idolatry. Especially with their women. Since Israel has been instructed not to marry from those involved in idolatry as we read in Exodus chapter 34 verses uh, 15 and 16. Exodus 34 verses 15 through 16. It is, be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. For when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as your wives for your sons and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods they will lead you they will lead your sons to do the same and so here is an instruction God has given to Israel you are not going to marry from these people so why even be around them see, see they, this is where you know even today as I, I say it 
many young Christians get themselves into trouble. Because they don't realize that you don't need to be around somebody who is not a believer in a, you know, what they call close association. You don't need to do that. Because of the possibility of marriage, really. So why even hang around somebody, as they use the term, that you know is not biblically sound for you to marry? Why even be around that person? So this is the kind of thing if Israel understood. God said, you're not going to marry them. So why associate with them? Now I know, as I've explained many times, it's very difficult for us. I'm not, when I think, you know, some people will think, I'm talking about young people. No, I'm talking about all adults. Everyone faces peer pressure. It doesn't matter whether you're young or you're an adult. It all depends on what we do with the peer pressure. It takes a different form. Nonetheless, it's still a pressure. So, why as a, a believer would you want to be around someone or group of people that you have nothing in common when, the, when it comes to what matters? What, what do I mean? That's, when I talk about having something in common, I'm talking about the spiritual. Because that's the most important connection on this planet. Nothing is as important as that. Because only those people that you have a spiritual connection with, that you're going to spend eternity with. If you don't have spiritual connection with somebody, you're never going to see them on this planet and beyond once they leave. But you, if you, those that you associate with, if they are believers, well, that association continues in heaven, though we don't know how it's going to happen, but it will. Anyway, hence really, those who were killed because of idolatry and sexual immorality that involve attending festivity of the Moabites face the temptation to idolatry which they miserably failed. Likewise, those who were killed because of testing the Lord and grumbling against the Lord and Moses face the situation of trust in the Lord. They were placed in a situation of lack of food or lack of water that they did not believe God's care for them or his power to meet his needs. Now yes, what I'm saying is this. If they had believed that God cared enough about them, redeemed them, divided the Red Sea, they passed through. If they believe that, why are they whining? Why are they complaining about didn't see food or didn't see water? So it's because they did not believe that. The temptation is, no, don't think that, oh, it will be nice if all we do is to sit here and listen to the exposition of the word of God. And you say, man, I enjoyed it, whatever you, that means to you. You say, I enjoyed it. If that's all it is, well, it will have been perfect, wouldn't it? No. Everything we hear will be tested to see how we respond. And that's where you differentiate yourself as a believer, whether you're mature or immature. It's now when you are facing temptation, when you are facing situations where these things that you have learned is to be tested. That's why we know what you made up as a believer. So, my point is that when the apostle then 
wrote the phrase, these things, of 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, his mind went beyond the death experiences of those who died uh, in the desert. He went from them to the situations or the conditions they faced that caused them to sin against the Lord in the form of idolatry, sexual immorality, testing of Christ, and grumbling. So it's not just he's talking about the examples or look at what happened to them. But what did they face before they came to that situation? That's what we're saying uh, he is concerned with. So we contend that unless this was the case, then it would be difficult to see how the apostle would have jumped from the examples of the Israelites that died in the desert to the to that of temptation or, tem- uh, or testing that he referenced in verse 13 that we'll get to at the appropriate time. So in any case, the apostle conveyed that the experiences of the Israelites that died in the desert were to serve as warnings for us believers as in the clause, look at where we start in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, says, These things happen to them as examples. Now the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle, wanted us to think of the experiences of those who died in the desert as these things that kept taking place during, uh, during different Situation why the Israelites were in the desert. He wants us, I mean, he says, happen to them. These things happen to them. And I'm saying, he, the Holy Spirit wants us to think about what was taking on, or what was happening continuously among them during that period. Now, the, we say this because the word happened in the NIV, literally from the Greek, if we translate it in the Greek, this way you read, where happening. Where happening. Now this is because of the what happened in the NIV is really translated from a what we may call an imperfect tense in the Greek. Now the imperfect tense in the Greek is used by a Greek writer to denote an action and process that was occurring in the past with no assessment of its completion. It's talking about something taking place without telling us it stopped, even though we know it will stop somehow. So the apostle used this tense to convey that the experiences of the Israelites that died in the desert, although certainly came to an end, at an unspecified time in the past, were repeated over a period of time where they were in the desert. In other words, their failures were just repeated, 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 repeated for those 40 years. That's really what, the, when it says happened, the Greek just says, we're happening. So, the apostle was not merely then concerned with stating what happened as Implied in the translation of the NIV, these things happened, but to let us know 
that their experiences were repeated several times. Now the experiences of those who died in the desert were to serve as a warning to us as implied in the clause we are studying. Again, 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, These things happen to them as examples. As examples. The word example is translated from uh, a Greek word that appears only twice, I mean only here though, in the Greek New Testament. So it pertains to that which serves as a model or an example. So hence it means, it has the meaning example. But in the context, it has the sense of warning or something like as a warning. Now this is because the conjunction and in the verbal phrase when it says and we're written down as warning for us. That conjunction and is translated from a Greek conjunction that we stated previously that is used to connect one clause to another either to express contrast or simple continuation. When it is, although when it says that there is some contrast between clauses, in some cases, so the, the although sometimes the contrast is hardly designable, then it is most likely translated, but as it is done in the uh, English Standard Version and the Lexham English Bible of this version we are considering. So when the conjunction is used to simply continue narrative without any implication of contrast, it, it is translated with and, and, as it is done in many of our English versions in this verse. Many of our English versions translated with and. Of course, sometimes when a simple connective is desired, without contrast being uh, clearly implied, it may be left untranslated in the English versions as in some of our English versions such as the contemporary English version or the new central version, both of which left this uh, particle untranslated. Nonetheless, the Greek conjunction has other usages. Now in the verbal phrase, look at the verbal phrase we're looking at, it says, and we are written down as warning for us. Now in this, it is used either to provide further explanation of the reason the things that occurred with some Israelites, or those Israelites that died in the desert, were written down. So that the Greek conjunction could be translated, that is, or it is used to provide the reason, the experiences were written down, so in that case it may be translated so or therefore. Now none of these, none of the English versions that I consulted had any of these two possible interpretations. Now the, that notwithstanding, it is more likely that the apostle used uh, the Greek conjunction to provide a reason for writing down the experiences 
of the Israelites that died in the desert for one of the many failures that we have considered in our previous study of 1 Corinthians 10 and verses 7 through 10. So anyway, the experiences of those Israelites who failed in the desert were written down for our benefit. As in the verbal phrase of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11. The word starting, again it says, and were written down as warning for us. Now the expression as warnings is translated from a Greek word that may mean instruction. Instruction. As what fathers should convey to their children from the Lord as we read in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 reads, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now that word instruction is a Greek word, notesia. Instruction. Now the Greek word may also mean admonition, admonition. As Apostle Paul used it to instruct titles regarding the treatment of divisive person, as stated in titles chapter 3, verse 10. Titus, Titus, chapter 3, Verse 10. Titus chapter 3 verse 10 reads, One, a divisive person once, and then one him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. Now a more literal translation of this verse is something like this. Reject a divisive person after a first and second admonition. Admonition. Now, in our passage of 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, the sense of the word is probably instruction that encompasses warning and admonition. See, warning. I mean, they look like they're the same warning or admonition. Well, they're not quite the same. Warning is a cautionary advice to someone about coming disaster or danger or of the consequences of their actions. What I tell them, this is going to happen if you do this way. That becomes a warning because of the person's action or attitude. While admonition concerns 
correcting of another's attitude or behavior often in a loving manner. See, that's the difference. Admonition, you're concerned with correcting. Whereas warning, you're concerned with telling about consequences. So, the examples of the failures of the Israelites in the desert, on the one hand, is intended to correct the Corinthians who might have been involved in some of the failures of the Israelites who died in the desert. On the other hand, for those who have failed in Corinth and those who have not failed as those Israelites that died in the desert. Their experiences are intended in, the, in this teaching of the apostle to warn such Corinthians of the consequences of behaving in the same way as the Israelites that died in the desert. So it is because warning and admonition are involved when the apostle referenced the experiences of the Israelites who died in the desert that we contain that the Greek word here should be translated as warning in the NIV that what you have in the NIV that probably we should translate it simply instruction to cover both both warning and admonition now the verbal phrase that we're looking at 1 Corinthians 10 11 says we are written down as warning for us. Now that phrase should remind us firstly of the importance of having respect for the Old Testament scripture. Since the verbal phrase we are written down refers to information derived from the Old Testament records. In other words, what I'm saying is the verbal phrase we are written down as warning for us should cause you to recognize the importance of having great respect, ultimate respect, really, for what's written in the Old Testament Scripture. See, there are many Christians who take the attitude that the Old Testament is done with and should not be studied by Christians or that it should not even be preached as though it is not God's word. Now those who have this attitude are in effect, without knowing it, they are followers of the second century heretic by name Macon. Macon. He rejected all the books of the Old Testament. Everything, every book in the Old Testament, he rejected it. Now to him, this is part of what he did, to him, the God of Old Testament, and I quote, he's writing one of the things he said, the God of the Old Testament, quote, and this is where he says it, harsh, severe, and unmerciful as his laws. That's what he said. Let me quote that again. Harsh, severe, and unmerciful as his laws. That's where he saw the God of the Old Testament. Now his Thought though is still being uh, perpetuated among those Christians today 
who think this way in that they take the God of the New Testament as God of love that is to be perceived to be different from the God of the Old Testament although they may not explicitly say so. Some saying or I'm insisting that Macon's thinking is still evident in our modern times. For example, one of the efforts of the Hitler uh, Nazis movement was to reinvent Christian theology by completely severing it or severing the Christian faith from its Jewish heritage. To severe it completely. In other words, Anything that has to make the New Testament or the Christian faith go back to the Old Testament uh, or has the Jewish, the Hebrew origin, remove it. That's part of that thing. That's part of the era of Macan. And this, that's where it appeared in Nazi's uh, movement. Another evidence of this movement, though, is demonstrated by a man, Walter uh, Grundman, who headed a project whose goal was to produce a hymn book and what they call church liturgy without the use of any of the Old Testament terms such as hallelujah and amen. They say, don't put that in hymns because you're going back to the Old Testament. And he, they tried. Don't know how far they got. Anyway, so the point is that there are modern churches and Christians who ignore the Old Testament scripture. Although, the same people are quick to put Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy Which says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And you will notice, this passage in 2 Timothy did not say some scripture. He didn't say some scripture. Notice that. But he says, all scripture. All scripture. That, of course, includes both the Old Testament and the New Testament scriptures. Especially since the time of the Apostles' writing of this book, Epistle of Timothy, the scripture primarily referred to was the Old Testament. Therefore, if teaching and training in righteousness must be done correctly, we must look to both Old Testament and New Testament. You see, in the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, he spoke of the scriptures by which he meant the Old Testament scriptures, since the New Testament had not been written when he was on this planet. However, when a person does not consider uh, the Old Testament as important in the Christian life as the New Testament, the individual has bifurcated God's word. 
That's what will happen. So it is because many Christians do not know enough about the Old Testament that they have distorted the idea of God. Now, as we stated previously, many Christians think only of God of love, as demonstrated in the New Testament, that they forget that God is also a God of justice, a just God. Now, the Old Testament scripture provides us with a balanced view of God in the Old Testament. See, he reveals God in loving relationship or covenant relationship with his people, Israel, and one who is just, that punishes them when they sin. So the point is that, as a Christian, you should understand that the Old Testament is much of God's word as the New Testament. The reality is that its understanding has been enhanced with the coming of Jesus Christ to this planet and the writing of the, of the New Testament. Therefore, there's no reason to disrespect the, New, the Old Testament by not studying it. That's the first thing that we see the phrase, the verbal phrase, tells us. There's more though, as we're going to go back and look at some things that will be a little bit shocking to some of you, but we're not going to shy away from what's been written in the scripture. So before we get into that, I think it's best to take a break. 